Hello, boys and girls. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Today, I'm going to read you a fairy tale that is called The Story of Dr. Doolittle. Have you heard this story before? No? So let's start. The first chapter. Once upon a time, many years ago, when our grandfathers were little children, there was a doctor, and his name was Dolittle, John Dolittle, M.D. M.D. means that he was a proper doctor and knew a whole lot. He lived in a little town called Puddleby on the Marsh. All the fox, young and old, knew him well by sight, and whenever he walked down the street in his high head, everyone would say, there goes the doctor, he's a clever man, and the dogs and the children would all run up and follow behind him, and even the crows that lived in the church tower would come and nod their heads. The house he lived in on the edge of the town was quite small, but his garden was very large and had a wide lawn and stone seeds and weeping willows hanging over. His sister, Sarah Doolittle, was housekeeper for him, but the doctor looked after the garden himself. He was very fond of animals and kept many kinds of pets. Beside the goldfish in the pond at the bottom of his garden, he had rabbits in the pantry, white mice in his piano, a squirrel in the linen closet, and a hedgehog in the cellar. He had a cow with a calf, too, and an old lame horse, twenty-five years of age, and chickens, and pigeons, and two lambs, and many other animals. But his favorite pets were Dab-Dab the duck, Jeep the dog, Gub-Gub the baby pig, Polynesia the parrot, and the owl, too, too. His sister used to grumble about all these animals and say they made the house untidy. And one day, when an old lady with rheumatism came to see the doctor, she sat on the hedgehog who was sleeping on the sofa and never came to see him anymore, but drove every Saturday all the way to Axenthorpe, another town ten miles off, to see a different doctor. Then his sister, Sarah Doolittle, came to him and said, John, how can you expect sick people to come to see you when you keep all these animals in the house? It's a fine doctor would have his parlor full of hedgehogs and mice. That's the fourth personage these animals have driven away. Square Jenkins and the parson say they wouldn't come near your house again, no matter how sick they are. We're getting poorer every day. If you go on like this, none of the best people will have you for a doctor. But I like these animals better than the best people, said the doctor. You are ridiculous, said his sister and walked out of the room. So as time went on, the doctor got more and more animals, and the people who came to see him got less and less. Till at last he had no one left except the cat's meat man, who didn't mind any kind of animals. But the cat's meat man wasn't very rich, and he only got sick once a year, at Christmas time, when he used to give the doctor sixpence for a bottle of medicine. Sixpence a year wasn't enough to live on, even in those days long ago. And if the doctor hadn't had some money saved up in his money box, no one knows what would have happened. 
and he kept on getting still more pets, and of course it cost a lot to feed them, and the money he had saved up grew littler and littler. Then he sold his piano and let the mice live in a bureau drawer, but the money he got for that too began to go, so he sold the brown suit he wore on Sundays and went on becoming poorer and poorer. And now, when he walked down the street in his high head, people would say to one another, There is Ghost John Doolittle, M.D. There was a time when he saw the best-known doctor in the West Country. Look at him now. He hasn't any money, and his stockings are full of holes. But the dogs and the cats and the children still ran up and followed him through the town, the same as they had done when he was rich. The Second Chapter it happened one day that the doctor was sitting in his kitchen talking with the cat's meat man who had come to see him with the stomach cake. Why don't you give up being a people's doctor and be an animal doctor? asked the cat's meat man. The parrot Polynesia was sitting in the window looking out at the rain and singing a sailor song to herself. She stopped singing and started to listen. You see, doctor? The cat's meat man went on. You know all about animals, much more than what these here wets do. That book you wrote about cats, why it's wonderful. I can't read or write myself, or maybe I'd write some books. But my wife, Theodosia, she's a scholar, she is, and she read your book to me. Well, it's wonderful. That's all can be said, wonderful. You might have been a cat yourself. You know the way they think. And listen, you can make a lot of money doctoring animals. Do you know that? You see, I'd send all the old women who had sick cats or dogs to you, and if they didn't get sick fast enough, I could put something in the meat I sell them to make them sick. See? Oh, no, said the doctor quickly. You mustn't do that. That wouldn't be right. Oh, I didn't mean real sick, answered the cat's meat man. Just a little something to make them droopy, like was what I had reference to. But as you say, maybe it ain't quite fair on the animals. But they'll get sick anyway, because the old women always give them too much to eat. And look, all the farmers round about who had lame horses and weak lambs, they'd come, be an animal doctor. When the cat's meat man had gone, the parrot flew off the window onto the doctor's table and said... That man's got sense. That's what you ought to do. Be an animal doctor. Give the silly people up if they haven't brains enough to see you're the best doctor in the world. Take care of animals instead. They'll soon find it out. Be an animal doctor. Oh, there are plenty of animal doctors, said John Doolittle, putting the flower pots outside on the window sill to get the rain. Yes, there are plenty, said Polynesia, but none of them are any good at all. Now listen, doctor, and I'll tell you something. Did you know that animals can talk? I knew that parrot can talk, said the doctor. Oh, we parrots can talk in two languages, people's language and bird language, said Polynesia proudly. If I said, Polly wants a cracker, you understand me, but hear this. Kaka, oi, fifi. Good gracious, cried the doctor. What does that mean? That mean, is the porridge hot yet? In bird language. What would have been the good? Said Polynesia, dusting some cracker crumbs of her left wing. You wouldn't have understood me if I had. Tell me some more, 
said the doctor, all excited, and he rushed over the dresser drawer and came back with the butcher's book and a pencil. Now don't you go too fast, and I'll write it down. This is interesting, very interesting, something quite new. Give me the bird's ABC first, slowly now. So that was the way the doctor came to know that animals had a language of their own and could talk to one another. And all the afternoon, while it was raining, Polynesia sat on the kitchen table, giving him bird words to put down in the book. At tea time, when the dog Cheep came in, the parents said to the doctor, See, he's talking to you. Looks to me as though he were scratching his ear, said the doctor. But animals don't always speak with their mouths, said the parrot in a high voice, raising her eyebrows. They talk with their ears, with their feet, with their tails, with everything. Sometimes they don't want to make a noise. Do you see now the way he's twitching up one side of his nose? What's that mean? asked the doctor. That means, can't you see that it has stopped raining? Polynesia answered. He is asking you a question. Dogs nearly always use their noses for asking questions. After a while, with the parrot's help, the doctor got to learn the language of the animals so well that he could talk to them himself and understand everything they said. Then he gave up being a people's doctor altogether. As soon as the cat's meat man had told everyone that John Dolittle was going to become an animal doctor, Old ladies began to bring him their pet pugs and poodles who had eaten too much cake, and farmers came many miles to show him sick cows and sheep. One day a plow horse was brought to him, and the poor thing was terribly glad to find a man who could talk in a horse language. You know, doctor, said the horse, that vet over the hill knows nothing at all. He has been treating me six weeks now for spavins. What I need is spectacles. I'm going blind in one eye. There is no reason why horses shouldn't wear glasses the same as people. But that stupid man over the hill never even looked at my eyes. He kept on the giving me big pills. I tried to tell him, but he couldn't understand a word of horse language. What I need is spectacles. Of course, of course, said the doctor. I'll get you some at once. I would like a pair like yours, said the horse. Only green. They'll keep the sun out of my eyes while I'm plowing the 50-acre field. Certainly, said the doctor. Green ones you shall have. You know, the trouble is, sir, said the plow horse as the doctor opened the front door to let him out. The trouble is that anybody thinks he can doctor animals just because the animals don't complain. As a matter of fact, it takes a much cleverer man to be a really good animal doctor than it does to be a good people's doctor. My farmer's boy thinks he knows all about horses. I wish you could see him. His face is so fat, he looks as though he had no eyes, and he has got as much brain as a potato bag. He tried to put a mustard plaster on me last week. Where did he put it? asked the doctor. Oh, he didn't put it anywhere. On me, say the horse. He only tried to. I kicked him into the duck pond. Well, well, say the doctor. I'm a pretty quiet creature as a rule, said the horse. Very patient with people, don't make much fuss. But it was bad enough to have that vet giving me the wrong medicine. And when that red-faced booby started to monkey with me, I just couldn't bear it anymore. Did you hurt the boy much? Oh no, said the horse. I kicked him in the right place. The vet's looking after him now. When will my glasses be ready? I'll have them for you next week, said the doctor. 
Come in again Tuesday. Good morning. Then John Doolittle got a fine big pair of green spectacles, and the plowhers stopped going blind in one eye and could see as well as ever. And soon it became a common sight to see farm animals wearing glasses in country round Cuddleby, and a blind horse was a thing unknown. And so it was with all the other animals that were brought to him. As soon as they found that he could talk their language, they told him where the pain was and how they felt, and of course it was easy for him to cure them. Now all these animals went back and told their brothers and friends that there was a doctor in a little house with a big garden who really was a doctor, and whenever any creatures got sick, not only horses and cows and dogs, but all the little things of the fields like harvest mice and water voles, budges and bats, they came at once to his house on the edge of the town so that this big garden was nearly always crowded with animals trying to get in to see him. There were so many that came that he had to have special doors made for the different kinds. He wrote horses over the front door, cows over the side door, and sheep on the kitchen door. Each kind of animals had a separate door. Even the mice had a tiny tunnel made for them into the cellar where they waited patiently in rows for the doctor to come round to them. And so, in a few years, time, every living thing for miles and miles got to know about John Doolittle, M.D. And the birds who flew to other countries in the winter told the animals in foreign lands of the wonderful doctor of Puddleby on the marsh who could understand their talk and help them in their troubles. In this way, he became famous among the animals all over the world, better known even he had been among the folks of the West Country, and he was happy and liked his life very much. One afternoon, when the doctor was busy writing in a book, Polynesia sat in the window, as she nearly always did, looking out at the leaves blowing about in the garden. Presently, she laughed aloud. What is it, Polynesia? asked the doctor, looking up from his book. I was just thinking, said the parrot, and she went on looking at the leaves. What were you thinking? I was thinking about people, said Polynesia. People make me sick. They think they're so wonderful. The world has been going on now for thousands of years, hasn't it? And the only thing in animals' language that people have learned to understand is that when a dog wags his tail, he means, I'm glad. It's funny, isn't it? You're the very first man to talk like us. How oh, sometimes people annoy me dreadfully, such airs they put on, talking about the dumb animals. Dumb, huh? When you Mecca once who could say good morning in seven different ways without once opening his mouth, he could talk every language, and Greek, an old professor with a great beard bought him, but he didn't stay. He said the old man didn't talk Greek right, and he couldn't stand listening to him teach the language wrong. I often wonder what's becoming of him. The bird knew more geography than people will ever know. People, Kali, I suppose if people ever learn to fly like any common hatch sparrow, we shall never hear the end of it. You're a wise old bird, said the doctor. How old are you really? I know that parrots and elephants sometimes live to be very, very old. I can never be quite sure of my age, said Polynesia. It's either 183 or 182, but I know that when I first came here from Africa, King Charles was still hiding in the dog tree because I saw him. He looked scared to death. The third chapter. 
And soon now the doctor began to make money again, and his sister Sarah bought a new dress and was happy. Some of the animals who came to see him were so sick that they had to stay at the doctor's house for a week, and when they were getting better, they used to sit in chairs on the lawn. And often, even after they got well, they didn't want to go away. They liked the doctor and his house so much, and he never had the heart to refuse them to when they asked if they could stay with him. So in this way, he went on getting more and more pets. Once, when he was sitting on his garden wall smoking a pipe in the evening, an Italian organ grinder came round with a monkey on a string. The doctor saw at once that the monkey's collar was too tight and that he was dirty and unhappy. So he took the monkey away from the Italian, gave the man a shilling, and told him to go. The organ grinder got awfully angry and said that he wanted to keep the monkey. But the doctor told him that if he didn't go away, he would punch him on the nose. John Dolittle was a strong man, though he wasn't very tall. So the Italian went away saying rude things, and the monkey stayed with Doctor Dolittle and had a good home. The other animals in the house called him Chichi, which is a common word in monkey's language meaning ginger. And another time, when the circus came to Puddleby, the crocodile, who had a bad toothache, escaped at night and came into the doctor's garden. The doctor talked to him in a crocodile language and took him into the house and made his tooth better. But when the crocodile saw what a nice house it was, with all the different places for the different kinds of animals, he too wanted to live with the doctor. He asked, "Couldn't he sleep in the fish pond at the bottom of the garden if he promised not to eat the fish?" When the circus man came to take him back, he got so wild and savage that he frightened them away. But to everyone in the house, he was always as gentle as a kitten. But now the old ladies grew afraid to send their lap dogs to Doctor Dolittle because of the crocodile, and the farmers wouldn't believe that he would not eat the lambs and sick calves they brought to be cured. So the doctor went to the crocodile and told him he must go back to his circus. But he wept such big tears and begged so hard to be allowed to stay that the doctor hadn't the heart to turn him out. So then the doctor's sister came to him and said. John, you must send the creature away. Now the farmers and the old ladies are afraid to send their animals to you, just as we were beginning to be well off again. Now we shall be ruined entirely. This is the last straw. I will no longer be housekeeper for you if you don't send away that alligator. It isn't an alligator," said the doctor. "It's a crocodile." I don't care what you call it," said his sister. "It is a nasty thing to find under the bed. I won't have it in the house." But he has promised me," the doctor answered, "that he will not bite anyone. He doesn't like the circus, and I haven't the money to send him back to Africa, where he comes from. He minds his own business, and on the whole, is very well behaved. Don't be so fussy." I tell you, I will not have him around," said Sarah. "He eats the linoleum. If you don't send him away this minute, I'll, I'll go and get married." "All right," said the doctor. "Go and get married. It can be helped." And he took down his hat and went out into the garden. So Sarah Dolittle packed up her things and went off, and the doctor was left all alone with his animal's family. And very soon he was poorer than he had ever been before, with all these mouths to fill and the house to look after, and no one to do the mending, and no money coming in to pay the butcher's bill. Things began to look very difficult, but the doctor didn't worry at all.
Money is a nuisance, he used to say. We'd all be much better off if it had never been invented. What does money matter so long as we are happy? But soon the animals themselves began to get worried. And one evening, when the doctor was asleep in his chair before the kitchen fire, they began talking it over among themselves in whispers. And the old tutu, who was good at arithmetic, figured out that there was only money enough left to last another week if they each had only one meal a day and no more. Then the parrot said. I think we all ought to do the housework ourselves. At least we can do that much. After all, it is for our sakes that the old man finds himself so lonely and so poor. So it was agreed that the monkey Chichi was to do the cooking and mending, the dog was to sweep the floors, the duck was to dust and make the beds, the old tutu was to keep the accounts, and the pig was to do the gardening. They met Polynesia, the parrot, housekeeper, and laundress, because she was the oldest. Of course, at first they all found their new jobs very hard to do. All except Chichi, who had hands and could do things like a man, but they soon got used to it. And they used to think it great fun to watch Jib, the dog, sweeping his tail over the floor with a rag tied onto it for a broom. After a little, they got to do the work so well that the doctors say that he had never had his house kept so tidy or so clean before. In this way, things went along all right for a while, but without money, they found it very hard. Then the animals made a vegetable and flower stall outside the garden gate and sold radishes and roses to the people that passed by along the road. But still, they didn't seem to make enough money to pay all the bills, and still the doctor wouldn't worry. When the parrot came to him and told him that the fishmonger wouldn't give them any more fish, he said, "Never mind. So long as the hens lay eggs and the cows gives meal, we can have omelets and junket, and there are plenty of vegetables left in the garden. The winter is still a long way off. Don't fast. That was the trouble with Sarah. She would fast. I wonder how Sarah getting on. An excellent woman in some ways. Well, well." But the snow came earlier than usual that year, and also the old lame horse hauled in plenty of food from the forest outside the town, so they could have a big fire in the kitchen. Most of the vegetables in the garden were gone, and the rest were covered with snow, and many of the animals were really hungry. The fourth chapter. That winter was a very cold one, and one night in December, when they were all sitting round the warm fire in the kitchen, and the doctor was reading aloud to them out of books he had written himself in animal language, the old tutu suddenly said, "Shh! What's that noise outside?" They all listened, and presently they heard the sound of someone running. Then the door flew open, and Monkey's Chichi ran in, badly out of breath. "Doctor!" he cried. I've just had a message from a cousin of mine in Africa. There is a terrible sickness among the monkeys out there. They're all catching it, and they're dying in hundreds. They have heard of you, and they beg you to come to Africa to stop the sickness. Who brought the message? Asked the doctor, taking off his spectacles and laying down his book. A swallow said, "Chichi, she's outside on the rain, but." Bring her in by the fire," said the doctor. "She must be perished with the cold. The swallows flew south six weeks ago." So the swallow was brought in, all huddled and shivering, and though she was a little afraid at first, she soon got warmed up and sat on the edge of the mantelpiece and began to talk.
When she had finished, the doctor said, "I would gladly go to Africa, especially in this bitter weather, but I'm afraid we haven't money enough to buy the tickets. Get me the money box, Chichi." So the monkey climbed up and got it off the top shelf of the dresser. There was nothing in it, not one single penny. I felt sure there was two pounds left," said the doctor. "There was," said the owl. "But you spun in on a rattle for that badger baby when he was teething." "Did I?" said the doctor. "Dear me, dear me! What a nuisance money is, to be sure." Well, never mind. Perhaps if I go down to the seaside, I shall be able to borrow a boat that will take us to Africa. I knew a seaman once who brought his baby to me with measles. Maybe he'll lend us his boat. The baby got well. So early next morning, the doctor went down to the seashore, and when he came back, he told the animals it was all right. The sailor was going to lend them the boat. Then the crocodile and the monkey and the parrot were very glad and began to sing because they were going back to Africa, their real home. And the doctor said, "I shall only be able to take you three: with the jeep, the dog, Dab Dab the dog, Gub Gub the pig, and the old Tutu. The rest of the animals, like the dormice and the water wolves and the bats, they will have to go back and live in the fields where they were born till we come home again. But as most of them sleep through the winter, they won't mind that. And besides, it wouldn't be good for them to go to Africa. So then the parrot, who had been the long sea voyages before, began telling the doctor all the things he would have to take with him on the ship. You must have plenty of pilot bread, she said. Hardtack, they call it, and you must have bathing cans and an anchor. I expect the ship will have its own anchor," said the doctor. "Well, make sure," said Polynesia, "because it's very important. You can't stop if you haven't got an anchor, and you'll need a bell." "What's that for?" asked the doctor. "To tell the time by," said the parrot. You go and ring it every half hour, and then you know what time it is. And bring a whole lot of rope. It always comes in handy on voyages. Then they began to wonder where they were going to get the money from to buy all the things they needed. Oh, bother it! Money again! Cried the doctor. Goodness! I shall be glad to get to Africa where we don't have to have any. I'll go and ask the crosser if he will wait for his money till I get back. No, I'll send the sailor to ask him. So the sailor went to see the grocer, and presently he came back with all the things they wanted. Then the animals packed up, and after they had torn off the water so the pipes wouldn't freeze, and put up the shutters, they closed the house and gave the key to the old horse who lived in the stable. And when they had seen that there was plenty of hay in the loft to last the horse through the winter, they carried all their luggage down to the seashore and got on to the boat. The cat's meat man was there to see them off, and he brought a large suit pudding as a present for the doctor because he said he had been told you couldn't get suit pudding in foreign parts. As soon as they were on the ship, Gub Gub the pig asked where the beds were, for it was four o'clock in the afternoon and he wanted his nap. So Polynesia took him downstairs into the inside of the ship and showed him the beds set along top of one another like the bookshelves against the wall. Why, that isn't a bed," cried Gub Gub. "That's a shelf." "Beds are always like that one, ships," said the parrot. "It isn't a shelf. Climb up onto it and go to sleep. That's what you call a bunk."
I don't think I'll go to bed yet," said Gub Gub. "I'm too excited. I want to go upstairs again and see them start." Well, this is your first trip," said Polynesia. "You will get used to the life after a while." And she went back up the stairs of the ship, humming the song to herself. I've seen the Black Sea and the Red Sea. I rounded the Isle of Wight. I discovered the Yellow River and the Orange too by night. Now Greenland drops behind again, and I sail the ocean blue. I'm tired of all these colors, Jane. So I'm coming back to you. They were just going to start on the journey when the doctor said he would have to go back and ask the sailor to wait to Africa. But the swallow said she had been to that country many times and would show them how to get there. So the doctor told Chichi to pull up the anchor and the voyage began.